What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It is Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? Matty, not too much. Happy first day of July. I cannot believe that we are this far in the year already. It feels like this year has been a flash. It is Q3, baby. We are on the back half <laughs> of this 2022. Corporate yeah, Matt. It's been flying by, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been flying by. I feel like uh, just yesterday we were both complaining about getting COVID on the first episode of, <laughs> of, this, yeah. of this year. And we we're like, we didn't get to see each other. But here we are. Some six months later, <laughs> we started off the year on the worst foot possible, but I think we've recovered pretty well, I would say. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. All right, let's have another good show today. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by C3's Kelvy Vanderhart, who writes, Beam Suntory's $1 billion mission towards sustainable and socially conscious spirits. See, I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> this is the long, long-awaited follow-up. <laughs> to last week's discussion about whether or not we have spoken about this on the show. Well, guess what, haters who were like, you guys definitely have not spoken about it on the show. You were right, but now you're not right anymore. We're talking about it. You were right for one week. <laughs> this article is from November of 2021, and it starts off by stating how liquor and spirits are generally lacking in sustainability pledges, but Beam Suntory is one of those companies that is seeking to change this. The company set a goal of the world's most admired and fastest growing premium spirits company and a vision of growing for good. President and CEO Albert Bellotti said that sustainability of their business and humanity requires this shift. And the company has set clear targets to reach by 2030 and 2040 in order to be more sustainable. Yeah, and they also released a detailed roadmap of how they're going to reach these targets, which are separated into three categories. Nature positive, consumer positive and community positive. The nature positive goals are what we're going to focus on here. And the objectives are to lower greenhouse gas emissions, reduce water usage, plant more trees, and increase recyclable materials and use of recycled materials. Yeah, so all these are pretty important in their own regard. And the overall goals, if achieved, would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030 and be carbon negative by 2040. They've basically said that by transitioning their operations away from fossil fuels, along with the other goals, they can offset more carbon than they produce. That's great. They also plan to reduce water usage by 50% by 2030 and replenish the water they use and to support local communities by 2040. As for trees, Beam Centauri aims to plant 500,000 annually through 2030. The company will also only work with foresters and suppliers that are fully sustainable by 2040. 
The last one that Nick mentioned earlier was recycling. So Beam Centauri would like to use 100% recyclable material packaging for all of its products by the end of the decade, including 40% recycled material in manufacturing. So far, Beam Centauri has reduced water usage by 22% and reduced their greenhouse gas emissions by 19%. So with eight years left of this decade, I would say they are off to a great start. Yeah, agreed. And it's not easy to reduce your water usage when you're making spirits or beer or anything like that. It uses a lot of water. It's very water intensive. Um, So to reduce your water usage by 50%, potentially by 2030, Mm -hmm. is going to be tough, but I think it's a really good goal to have. Yeah, and, and you know, just to briefly touch on the other goals of this company, those are also good goals to have. Beam Centauri has committed to invest $500 million into expanding their Drink Smart initiative, which basically helps consumers make smart choices about their own alcohol consumption. And their community positive goals include building an inclusive and equitable culture within their own company, including increasing women in company-wide leadership positions. Hell yeah. And some of the most popular brands owned by Centauri Beam include Centauri, Jim Beam, obviously, Maker's Mark, Cruzan, and Pinnacle. Nick, what's your favorite of those? Oh, that's so hard. I think I'm going to say Cruzan. I think it's a really good budget rum. Um, Pinnacle also has some good um, vodkas, too. I don't know if you've had the Pinnacle Whipped. Uh, Have you ever had that? Yeah, it's like whipped cream like, vodka, basically. I was going to say 19, but I don't want to get myself in trouble. So yeah, when I was well, like that's, 21. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a Mike Janusa standout. Um, he loves the Pinnacle Whipped, uses it in like every single pretty much um, batch cocktail that he makes. That's like my dad's like specialty is like a batch cocktail. Um, Pinnacle Whipped has to be in almost every single drink. Cruzan, I've only had at your house, so I thought you were going to say that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a Maker's guy. Maker's is my favorite whiskey, definitely my favorite, really? or I guess favorite bourbon, but definitely my favorite out of uh, out of this list for sure. Yeah, I'm a Maker's guy. I didn't know you were a Maker's guy. Okay, that's a good that's a good thing to know because now I could just get that for you for a gift. <laughs> I will act surprised as long as you act surprised when I get you Cruzan. <laughs> <laughs> cool, sounds good. All right, let's move on to our next one here, and it is titled How Climate Change is Making Fires Worse by Saul Elbian of The Hill. So this might be something that longtime listeners of the show or just people who follow climate news think is pretty obvious, but this article was released last Friday and we felt that it was a good summary of why wildfire season seems to be getting worse and worse and worse every year. And the short answer is that's because it is, and it's because of climate change. And unfortunately, wildfires have actually been far worse than experts or models have predicted. Forest Service Chief Randy Moore said last week that fires are outpacing our models because of escalating climate conditions. This is why a routine prescribed burn in New Mexico earlier this year turned into the largest wildfire in state history. Drought has created conditions that the Forest Service has never encountered before, and droughts are another climate effect that will become more intense and more frequent in the future. Yeah, since 2007, the number of reported wildfires has decreased, but the acreage burned continues to climb since 1983. Mark Castelnu, a fire scientist in Spain's Catalonia region, who also consults the American West, explained that lingering drought conditions makes fire worse year after year. He says the first year of the drought isn't that bad. The forests still have some humidity and energy left. But Castelnu said after two consecutive years of drought, forests are more vulnerable. 
When there's less water in the ecosystem, there's less available water vapor during evaporation. So the landscape can't cool the fire on its own. In a dry region, it just burns, it gets hotter, and it dries the ground even more, so it creates a feedback loop, basically just making itself worse and worse. Yeah, and something new that scientists have recently discovered is that large logs have a ton of energy available to burn because of years-long droughts. Typically, downed logs would hold water from rainfall and would not catch fire as often. Now, downed trees can be dry enough to combust. Yeah, which is pretty wild because in the article they were talking about how basically under normal circumstances, even as a fire is burning all around you, you could kick a down log and just break your foot because they're so <laughs> waterlogged and sturdy. Yeah. But now, you know, because the logs are so dry due to the current climate conditions, you can kick that log and it'll start to just chip away. Wow, that's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I wasn't going around kicking uh, kicking logs, but that was definitely something that in the <laughs> article I was like, all right, that makes sense to my simple brain. <laughs> anyway, so Todd Gartner of the World Resources Institute told The Hill that we're going to have to be increasingly conservative in when we use fire, how we use fire, and hew to the less risky side of the paradigm. Other things to be aware of here are proper forest management to make sure that there's less kindling and tinder-like branches that end up serving as fuel for an eventually massive fire. And what's surprising to me from this article is that like the number of reported wildfires have decreased since 2007 because I feel like I've heard so many stories about wildfires, um, but the acreage burned is obviously up, which makes sense because every time there's a, a wildfire, it's pretty much a, a big one now, like, especially out west. Yeah, and I guess to your point, it's probably that we don't hear about, you know, the minor fires. And there's right. more, like you said, more massive fires. So we are hearing about it more, even if they're happening less, because the scale of it is happening at a, at a crazy clip. Yeah. I mean, so this is very different, but like, how often does your local newspaper report on a single car accident? They, they don't. But anytime there's like a three car pile up, you're like, wow three people's bumpers needed to get replaced. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's the same thing. Like small forest fires that are, are manageable probably don't get reported to the same way that the largest wildfire in New Mexican history yeah. earlier this year did. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Our next quick hit is titled Dozens of Turtles, Dolphins Found Dead in Guatemala. Probe Launched from France 24 News. A uh, quick story, one that hopefully we will have some more answers for coming soon, but Guatemala's National Council of Protected Areas said that up to 65 turtles and 14 dolphins were discovered dead this week off the country's Pacific coast. Most of the turtles were olive ridley turtles, and officials think that heavy rains may have contributed to their deaths by carrying toxic materials from the land out to the sea. Authorities have launched an official in investigation and are also looking into whether industrial fishing could have played a role. Officials are studying the animal's remains for a potential cause and have asked volunteers to help look for more dead species found in the region. Yeah, this one sucks. I, I really don't have much to add. I guess I would just say that this is what happens with the process of industrialization. Like we're going to have more pollution get out to the ocean. We're going to have more plastic get out to the ocean. Fossil fuel emissions are going to get into our air. And then as acid rain pours down and washes out to the ocean, stuff like this is going to happen. So this is, this is why I 
we always advocate for clean energy on this show. Yeah, this is a brutal one. Um, just got to wait for more information, I guess, on this one. Yeah. And on that somber note, we are going to send you into a break and come back with two happier stories. I think I don't really remember what's on the schedule, but let's find out <laughs> together here on the planet today. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, some good news, Matt. Bitcoin's crash is good for the climate by Tim McDonald, of course. Yeah, this is this is good. And I also just scrolled down a little bit. The next story is good. So happy <laughs> news to send you on your weekends. If you haven't heard, Bitcoin is currently at its lowest price in a long time. Crypto bros mad. Here on TPT, we don't really mind. But anyway, Bitcoin's price has fallen to around $20,000 per Bitcoin. Generally, when Bitcoin's price is high, more miners will have their computers work harder to try to mine more Bitcoin. When the price is low, there's less incentive to mine that single Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin. The article points out that this isn't a perfect correlation because energy efficiency in mining computers and energy prices around the world all vary. So it's not as simple as saying that high Bitcoin price equals more mining all the time. Right. And that's because mining requires a ton of energy. So the price that Bitcoin becomes profitable at is different depending on each miner's location and energy efficiency. The article says when the price of Bitcoin soared over the last two years, Energy consumption rose and then plateaued as many miners found the price high enough to justify mining, but not high enough to justify new investments in mining hardware. And since the price has basically been cut in half since May 1st, energy consumption is falling for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. Mining energy hit its first peak in early 2021 and reached its highest level in late 2021. Now it's roughly one third of what it was at the peak. Good. Energy analysts have found that much of the fall off in energy usage can be traced to Kazakhstan, where profit margins were already thin due to unreliable electricity and the miners have older, less efficient equipment than in a place like the US. And less usage there is a good thing for the global climate because most of Kazakhstan's electricity comes from coal. Which is the dirtiest of all fossil fuels. 
global annual emissions from Bitcoin mining are roughly equal to the total emissions from Greece. So any sort of decrease here is welcome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the crypto bros, they can take as many hits as they can possibly take. I like I hope they get as many you know, brutal situations to happen to them as possible. Stay mad. <laughs> yeah, because like they just, they function for, for no reason. I'm sorry. If your whole thing, your whole game is just crypto. Yeah. You're a boring person to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah and we talked about this when CJ was on the last time, uh, the last time we spoke about crypto mining and it's just like, it's, it's doing so much harm to so many people so that the rich can get richer. Yeah. You, you got to think for every person our age who's invested maybe a couple hundred bucks, maybe zero dollars, like me. No, I'm kidding. But like <laughs> people have invested a little bit of money and they've made a little bit of money or maybe they invested right before this crash and they lost some money. But for every one of those people, the majority of people who are profiting off Bitcoin are your people who are dumping in thousands and thousands of dollars to buy one to buy right. multiple Bitcoin. I'm not talking about the people who are buying a fraction of one and dumping in like a little bit of money and hoping that it grows. I'm talking about the people who are functioning mining computers to make sure that they can get multiple Bitcoin or for the companies that are dedicating their time, their effort, their resources, and their money yeah. to mining for hundreds of Bitcoins if possible. Like, it's wasteful. Extremely, yeah. And yeah, it's just doing so much damage to, to the global climate. Like, Let's think of any other industry and let's say it's the banana industry, the global banana industry. If eating bananas created as much carbon emissions as the entire country of Greece does every single year, a lot more people would probably stop eating bananas. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's a no-brainer. And like, for the people that are involved in it, I'm just assuming that they don't know the climate side of it at all. Like they must have no clue or they just don't care. That's that's the other one. Yeah, that's that's the alternative. And and you can't fix the people who don't care. Exactly. Like that's that's the unfortunate side of it is that some people are just going to be motivated by, you know, my Bitcoin price is going up. I changed my Twitter avatar to have laser eyes. That way everyone <laughs> knows that I'm a crypto bro. You can change the people who don't know. Yeah. And I think the best place to start is the April 25th episode of The Planet Today. It's called Cryptocurrencies and Environmentalism featuring CJ Bonifati. Me and Nick sat down with CJ to talk about in detail what cryptos are doing to the environment. And spoiler alert, not a lot of good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was not great. But definitely go check out that episode if you're interested because it was extremely informative. CJ is really good on it. Yeah, CJ is the best. So one more thing to add. Energy analysts estimate that if the price falls to around $10,000 per Bitcoin, we could see a decrease in energy used to mine Bitcoin here in the US. Alternatively, if the price starts to go back up, we will likely see energy usage follow that trend. It's a brutal reality. I'm hoping it goes down. Sorry. Yeah, no, same here. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our last quick hit of the week, and it is from the Associated Press, where Fabiano Masanov writes, New Colombian president pledges to protect rainforest. Colombians elected Gustavo Petro, the country's first elected leftist president, who will take office in August. 
Petro set goals to halt deforestation in the Amazon by promising to limit agribusiness expansion into the forest and to create reserves for indigenous communities and others to harvest rubber, acai, and other non-timber forest products. He has also pledged income from carbon credits to finance reforestation of the Amazon. He aims to give humanity a reward, remedy, and solution by not burning the Amazon anymore. He also hopes to recover the Amazon and give humanity a possibility of life on the planet. The article points out that to do this, Petro needs to establish reign over large, lawless areas of the country. So, yeah, this isn't going to be easy, but it'll be worth it. The Amazon has lost over 240,000 acres of pristine forest in Colombia last year, and another 22,000 acres to fire. Both of those numbers are actually down from 2020, but 2021 was still the fourth worst year on record for deforestation in the Colombian Amazon. Yeah, and over 40% of the country is in the Amazon, which contributes to Colombia having the world's largest bird biodiversity. The country features transition zones between the Andes Mountains and Amazon lowlands, which helps strengthen biodiversity. Colombian Amazon destruction has been increasing since 2016, when decades of armed conflict within the country ended. To date, 15% of the Amazon in the country has been deforested. So, yeah, peace in Colombia is contributing to deforestation because people are now able to return to areas that were pretty dangerous just six years ago. The main driver behind deforestation here is cattle farming, which has doubled since 2016. Along with that, illegally seized land is often sold to ranchers. Almost 60% of Colombia's greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture, deforestation, and other land use, according to the World Resources Institute. In 2020, under the Paris Agreement, Colombian President Yvonne Duque's government committed to a 51% reduction in, in emissions by 2030. To do that, it pledged to reach net zero deforestation by 2030. Petro plans to strengthen these pledges and save the Amazon in his country. But the next question is, does this all matter without Brazil making a similar pledge? Personally, I think it helps for sure. You know, 10% of the Amazon is in Colombia, so this is effectively a goal to save 10% of one of the world's major carbon sinks. But 60% of the Amazon is in Brazil. And Jair Bolsonaro, their president, is an anti-environment leader who is not doing the Amazon, or the world for that matter, any favors. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. Like, just look at a map, too. Like, Colombia is, is not even close in size to Brazil. Um, and 60% of the Amazon being in Brazil, you're going to need that in cooperation with what Colombia is trying to do in order to get any actual results uh, and to save the Amazon. Yeah, and, and again, I don't want to take away from what Colombia is doing here. It's great. And they are effectively, if this works out, going to save 10% of the Amazon rainforest, which is awesome. But Brazil is the main player here when we're talking about 60% of the forest being in their country's borders. Yeah. We need them on board. And as recently as Monday of this week, the Financial Times posted an article called Brazil is letting the Amazon rainforest become lawless, which was about how many of us think Brazil is not doing enough to combat deforestation. But in reality, by letting crime rates increase in the rainforest, they're basically just making it even harder to protect. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, agreed. And like I said, I do think this is a major boost for Colombia to commit to ending deforestation. But Brazil needs to do more, 
and Bolsonaro is not going to be the one to do it. So we're just going to have to wait and see how the country's election in October shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT on Monday. We will be back for a Monday mini-sode as our first Monday episode of the month. It's going to be around 10 minutes and a great one to share with friends and introduce them to TPT. So definitely share it. Yeah, we've gotten some great feedback on the mini-sodes so far. It seems like people are enjoying those. So you can expect one episode per month. It's going to be on the first Monday every month. Just going to be 10, maybe 15 minutes if something really important comes up, but it's going to be a short one. So make sure to give it a listen. Make sure to share with one friend, two friends if you have two. That's a lot, though. That's a lot of friends. (laughs) Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and a review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod, or you can send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.